Well, we're going to be in John 15 this morning. And if you have a Bible, you can flip there or open an app on your phone. That would be equally as satisfying. But we're finishing up the sort of seven-week series that we've been in during the season after Epiphany. And if you haven't been here in the previous weeks, we've been exploring these seven I am statements of Jesus that are found in John's gospel, seven statements that Jesus makes that gives us insight into how he thought about himself and his identity. And and next week, we're actually going to begin a series titled Formed, Lessons in the Wilderness. And the season of Lent comes to us each year, reminding us that as we are journeying in life, we're sort of caught between this old way of living and the hope that we have when Jesus will come again. And in between these two realities, sometimes is this this space that we call the wilderness, where life is challenging and difficult, where circumstances just sort of make it difficult to see God. And we wonder, how are you going to provide for me? How are you going to sustain me? Why am I continuing to wrestle with some of my old life and these old patterns of thinking? And uh, the sort of kickoff, actually, to this series is upcoming this Wednesday night when we celebrate Ash Wednesday together here. We're going to have a meal from 6 to 7 and an Ash Wednesday service from about 7 to 7.45 or so, and would encourage you to be a part of that event, but we're going to start that series next week. Before this morning, though, uh, let's turn our attention to John 15, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17 together. Jesus teaches his disciples this. He says, I am the true vine... And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Father, give us ears to hear, ears to hear, and eyes to see you and your word anew this morning. May we not just understand. May we be formed 
and changed. That we might bear fruit in the world and in our church. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. In our passage this morning, Jesus articulates one of the great frustrations of any endeavor, fruitlessness. This year, I've made it a goal that I want to learn how to cook. I don't want to just sort of learn how to follow a recipe. I can follow a recipe just fine, thank you. But I want to have that capacity and ability to sort of tweak a recipe, take something out, add something in, or kind of know some of the techniques that are necessary to cook a good meal. But as I began begun to cook, I found myself running into the same discouraging situation over and over and over again. I sort of map out a meal that I want to cook. And so I go to the effort. I go to the grocery store and I get all the spices and and ingredients that are necessary for this meal. I prep all of the ingredients ahead of the actually combining and cooking of them. I'm dicing the onions. I'm measuring out all the spices and all of the cream and whatever else that's going into this meal. It always amazes me how much time it takes to prepare to cook a meal. It always takes more than I think. And then I get to the actual cooking. I, I follow all of the techniques and I, I have thought through all of the sequencing and the timing of everything of when this needs to go in the oven and this needs to do this and how we're going to do that or the other thing. It's like when I'm in the kitchen, Paige and Levi, get out because I have a, <laughs> a thing that I am trying to do. And I'm always amazed at how much Time and effort goes into preparing and planning a good meal, the shopping, the preparing, the actual cooking, and then you sit down to eat this meal that you've thought so much about, that you've thought about how it's going to taste and how, it's gonna, how, how, how my wife is going to receive this meal, and you sort of plate it just right, and you can never quite plate it right. That's actually a lot more difficult than I think as well. And then as you watch your wife take her first bite of the meal and look at you, the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, well, it's not horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And it's an honest assessment. It is not horrible. It makes me not want to cook again, right? It's like, what a waste of time. What a waste of money. Nothing but pure exercise in fruitlessness. And there's nothing more frustrating than going to great efforts to do something to grow in some way, to try and achieve some end goal and discover that all of your efforts were done in vain. I was at a high school basketball game yesterday talking to some dads and former coaches who like to shoot the breeze about sports, you know, and one of the dads remarked how his son had really begun to grow as an athlete as he dedicated himself to working out and running and lifting and training on his own, to which one of the coaches said, You know, it's so great that he's seeing the fruit of that effort because kids need a payoff when they dedicate themselves to something like that. You see, when there's no payoff, when there's no fruit, any pursuit quickly becomes discouraging and you begin to wonder, what the heck is the point of doing this anyway? And fruitlessness isn't just frustrating in cooking or in baseball, it's frustrating in the Christian life as well. In his book, A Cry for Mercy, Henry Nouwen writes about such an experience in the Christian life. I think I may not have all of the quote that I'm going to read here, but it's lengthy, but it's worth it. Nouwen is a great spiritual writer of her time, and he says this. He says, I am impressed by my own spiritual insights. I probably know more about prayer, meditation, and contemplation than most Christians do. Still, as impressed as I am... I am more impressed by the enormous abyss 
between my insights and my life. It seems as if I am standing on one side of a huge canyon and see how I should grow towards you, live in your presence and serve you, but cannot reach the other side of the canyon where you are. Sometimes I even have the painful feeling that the clearer the vision, the more aware I am of the depth of the canyon. You see, in the Christian faith and in the church, we often talk about God having the ability and the power to transform your life. And we use dramatic imagery and stories to talk about this kind of work that that God can do in your life. We describe it as you were dead in your sin and now you are alive in Christ. You were blind and now you see. We even have these famous scriptures about the kind of character that will be cultivated in you as a Christian man and woman. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Your life will be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. We like to cite passages from the book of Acts in the early church where hundreds of people are being saved daily as a fruit of their faithfulness to God's mission. And we talk about these things week in and week out, and the reality is that for so many of us, it feels like there's this giant gulf this giant abyss between the kind of life we're describing and the kind of life we're actually experiencing. The kind of life that we say the church sort of ought to enjoy and grow into and the kind of life that we as a church are enjoying and experiencing now. How is it that we can spend weeks and months and even years increasing our knowledge and attending worship services and still fail to see the fruits the New Testament describes for the disciples of Jesus. And the most unfortunate consequence of this kind of experience with Christian faith, where you just feel disappointed, isn't that it's just frustrating, is that people begin to walk away from the faith entirely. And frankly, if it's sort of, sort of side note, I don't know this to be the case, but one of the things that I, I sort of fear as a pastor in 2020 is this is why our young people are walking away from the church. This is why my generation is walking from the church. Is there's this huge gap between the life that the church describes and proclaims and the life that the church actually lives in the world today. And so the question that's posed to us this morning perhaps is how do we avoid this kind of spirituality in our own lives? How do we plug into a kind of spirituality and faith that produces the fruit that we read about and hear about week in and week out in our Bible studies and worship services? Right? Don't we want to see the students in our youth ministry transformed by the grace of God? Don't you want to experience the inner working of grace in your own life where God does immeasurably more in you than you could ever ask or imagine? Don't we as a church want to be formed into the kind of community that Jesus describes in the Beatitudes and to see like we, we identify in the books of book of Acts, people coming to know Jesus for the first time and being saved and transformed. And the teaching from Jesus this morning gives us an insight into how our faith does bear fruit. This is the, to me, the text that's foundation to the whole of the Christian life, particularly of how we bear fruit as Christians. And the pivotal insight from our text this morning is very clear, remain in Jesus, Or you may have heard this passage before, abide in Jesus. This is how you will bear fruit in the Christian life, is to remain or abide or persist in relationship with Jesus. 
Now let me ask you a simple sounding question, but the simple ones are always sometimes the most difficult, right? The question is this, what makes a Christian a Christian? Oh, I like this. We're not rhetorical here. I like it, love. Okay, anybody else have a response? No, all right. Uh, uh, what makes a Christian a Christian? Oh, following the teachings of Christ. There you go. I, like, I, I usually don't do the interactive thing. It makes me nervous. I'm like, how long do I wait in the silence before I move on? I love it, Andy. No, I love it. I love it. See, how we answer that question might be illuminating as to why so many Christians seem to bear little fruit in their lives. Dallas Willard was a philosophy professor and prolific writer on Christian spirituality. If, if you ever have the chance to read some of his stuff, one, it's very dense. It might take a little bit of time if you haven't read him before, but it's totally worth it to try and understand. But he writes these words. He says, evangelicals are good at what they call conversion. They're not good at what comes later because what is preached by them as the gospel has no necessary connection to character transformation. That is, what we often have called a Christian in the evangelical church is someone who sort of prays the sinner's prayer, right? So confess your sins, that you're a really horrible person, and, and trust that you need Jesus in order to go to heaven. And if you do that, you are a Christian. There might be some something to say about that, but it's such an incomplete picture of what it means to be a Christian, of what, what, it, what makes a Christian a Christian. You see, what makes a Christian a Christian, at least according to Jesus here in our passage this morning, is that they live in Christ. They live or remain or abide or persist in life in Christ. And Paul writes about this all throughout the New Testament. He writes these words in Colossians, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that might be that moment of conversion we often talk about, that moment where you receive Christ as Lord, but Paul goes on, continue to live your lives, what is that? In him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Or in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes these words, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found, what's that? In him. There's some scholars who suggest that the primary theme that we see in Paul's writings in the early church is this idea of living in Christ or participating in the life of Christ. And the thing that makes us Christians is not just that we pray a sort of formulaic prayer. It's not just that we show up at church on a Sunday morning for worship. What makes the Christian a Christian is that they live their lives in Christ. And the picture that Jesus gives of what that looks like is this sketch of vines and branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. You see, the branches derive their life from the vine, and the vine produces its fruit through the branches. I probably, in a Nazarene church, shouldn't show you a picture of vineyards, but that's just grapes. It's not wine yet, so I think it's okay uh, to show here. But that language of abiding or remaining, it, it sort of 
on the tip of our tongue, or sometimes when we think about it, it, it might sound like it's a passive activity. But Jesus, for Jesus to remain or abide in Christ, like a branch remains in the vine, is to persist in obeying his commands. Specifically, the command to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now, this is a whole different sermon, but I'll get you going there, and we, we won't preach this sermon. There is something very special and interesting to me, that persistence in love for one another is the way we persist in our love and relationship with God, is that there's a connection there. The way that we're involved in each other's lives and love one another says something about our status and relationship to Jesus. You see, the Christian life is a life lived in Christ measured by our obedience to him. And this is the thing that makes a Christian a Christian. But it's also the thing that allows the Christian person to produce fruit in their life. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll have a way better chance of producing fruit otherwise, than you would otherwise. He doesn't say, if you remain in me and I in you, then you'll probably, maybe, produce some fruit in your life. He doesn't say, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll possibly produce some fruit in your life. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will. You will bear much fruit. And there's a lot of debate as to what the fruit that Jesus is talking about actually is. What is he referring to? Is the fruit the freedom from sin that has entrapped our lives? Is the fruit the formation of Christian character in us? Is the fruit in the context of a church community, people coming to know Jesus and being saved? Is the fruit obedience, greater obedience to Jesus? Is the fruit a development of Christian love for one's enemies? Is the fruit the cultivation of a community of reconciliation who does the work of justice in its city and time? A lot of questions, but the real question is this, why do we have to choose <laughs> to me? Jesus says that who, those who remain in him will bear much fruit, a lot of fruit, all the fruit, every fruit that you could possibly think of that comes from being in Jesus, we ought to produce as a church. <sighs> Let me be transparent with you as your pastor just for a few moments. As I talk to different pastors in the area, who are all phenomenal people, by the way, um, all the pastors I met in Ventura are such an encouragement to me. Um, but I often get asked questions about, like, what's the plan? What's the strategic plan in the church? How are you going to grow that thing? How are you going to get younger? What's the vision? Do you have a vision for the church? And it's not that these aren't important questions. These are important questions. Trust me, the board wants to know the answer to all of these questions. But can I tell you that I don't think that's my first task as your pastor, is to give you the vision or the strategic plan. The first task of a pastor, let me just throw this out there, is one that I abide in Christ, that I actually am connected to Jesus myself. But the second task of a pastor is to lead you to abide in Jesus. One of the things that we've been 
doing in the church, and some of you have been on the uh, maybe the, the receiving end of uh, an aggressive invitation by me to join a group in our church. But I, I'm not sort of cultivating, you know, groups in our church, like Tuesday night Bible study, Wednesday night groups, this, that, or the other thing, just so we have more groups, just so that we have more ways for specific demographics to connect with people in our church. We're just not doing groups just to do groups. The invitation to be part of a group is an invitation to get a little closer to those who are in our church so that we could love one another. And in so doing, cultivate a community that is abiding, that is remaining in Jesus, as he says here in John 15. See, the first question that we have to answer as a church is, do we remain and abide in Jesus the way that he says? I don't want to bear as a pastor fruit that's apart from that remaining or abiding in Christ. Trust me, there are a lot of churches and there are a lot of pastors that get, I get you just got to get the right program. You got to get the right children's ministry configuration. You got to do the sticky faith thing with the youth ministry. You got to do the great to good or the good to great sort of method of leadership. And they have all of these processes and these means and these plans by which the church can grow and produce fruit. But the ultimate foundational question is, are we in Christ? And do we want to be a church that bears fruit that isn't of Christ? I don't. I really don't want any fruit that could come of our plans, that comes from our own wisdom and knowledge, that's distinct from a life that is found in Christ. I only want to bear the fruit that Jesus wants to bear in us. And we can only discover that as we abide and remain in him. I'll end with this. So in the mornings, I get Levi ready for uh, his childcare. Um, and it's crazy. It's chaotic. I'm always amazed. It takes me 45 minutes to get pants on, but that little guy. <laughs> but one of the things that we've begun to do since mom isn't around is while I'm getting ready, you know, he'll often sort of come into our bedroom and climb on our bed. And we do this thing where he starts jumping on our bed. And because um, mom's not around, I'm like, that's cool, man. You could do it. You could do it. And uh, maybe not the best idea. But I do this thing now where, where Levi's jumping on the bed and I'll, I'll grab him kind of like by the waist. And he'll go, jump high, daddy. Want to jump high. Want to jump high. And so he jumps and he's like, you know, I don't even know if he's actually making any distance between his feet and the top of our bed. But I take him, I grab him, and I'm just like, throwing him up in the air, you know, and uh, my arms get exhausted because I'm so out of shape. I'm like, dude, I can't do this, but he just wants to do this. Jump high, daddy. Jump high, daddy. He'd want to jump high, and we bounce, and he just laughs, and he laughs, and he laughs. He thinks it's so great, and my prayer for our church is that we would be so desirous to have God do with us what we couldn't do on our own that God would be the one who makes us jump high. And that somehow in the midst of our sort of attempt at jumping and God being like, okay, yeah, you get that high, but I'm gonna throw you way up here, that we would have joy. The thing that's so amazing to me, one of the things that's so amazing about this passage, Jesus says, you want your joy to be complete. Produce the fruit that I wanna produce in you. And it's not this just burdensome sort of religious activity. It's that what you actually discover 
as you remain and abide in Jesus, is a fullness of joy that you can't have without him. Jump high, church. But the only way we're going to do it is if we abide in him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we actually believe what you say in the text this morning. That the only way to bear fruit in our faith is to be connected to the source that is you. And so I ask God, as we form and shape a community that lives this way, that you would reveal yourself as faithful and bear fruit among our congregation. Our longing and desire is that somehow in the midst of serving and obeying your commands that our joy would be made complete in you and that we would bring the Father glory. Holy Spirit, give us the power that we need to abide in the Son. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. All right, Garrett had to take off, so I'm terribly nervous. He told me I had to close the service. To lead us in a final song. And one of the things that I want to lead us in is just in response. Yeah, you could, I'll use this. Is that okay? That this God who wants to produce in fruit is worth loving. Jesus, our longing is that somehow in our communal life together, we would grow in our affection and love for you and for one another. And that this life that is abiding in Jesus and the Son would be honoring and glorifying to you. That would be pleasant to you. It's the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen and amen. Well, church, as you go abiding and remaining in Christ, may he produce the fruit that he wants to produce in our church. Amen.